Welcome, everyone, to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com Giants reporter. And we're here with the post-draft episode. And for the New York Giants, I don't understand how you cannot be content or happy with this draft. Uh, If you're a fan and you're looking at it right now, maybe you're so in love with Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle that you just needed to have them. Or you absolutely mandated that this team get an offensive lineman in the first round, or really any round. But I still don't see how you can look at this draft, look at the players they got, right? Two basically first-round talents with their first two picks, even though they traded back on both picks. Now they have a first-round pick next year from the Bears, an extra third-round pick, and an extra fifth round, uh, fourth-round pick. So three extra picks next year. So next year, let's just say things go very, very wrong for the Giants this year. Daniel Jones plays like junk, okay? Now this team at least has the draft capital and has put themselves in a position to address that next year. Huge. And if not, then they could go go up and get a stud pass rusher if that's what they need or an offensive lineman, whatever it is. They now have flexibility for the future, which is huge. And this was always my biggest complaint. You know, you looked at it. Dave Gettleman kind of continued the trend, but this dates back to Jerry Reese. Very rigid. This organization just, there was no flexibility when it came to the draft. See player, go like player, get player. That was it. There was no maneuvering the board, adding extra capital. I'm a big believer. You throw more lottery tickets into the into the mix. You throw more picks into the pot. You're going to hit more. Teams are, I don't even think most teams are, I mean, almost all these teams, none of them are good, are great at hitting draft picks. They're great, it's like batting in baseball. About, you know, you bat three, 300, you're a Hall of Famer. Right? Same thing, football. If you hit on 30% of your picks, you're a genius. Same thing. But, in this case, you could just get more plate appearances. You could get more picks. So that's the whole point here. To me, it was always about get more picks. You're not that much smarter than everybody else, where you can do it in four picks every year, where everyone else can do it in, you know, does it in six or seven or eight or nine or 10. Some teams get 10 picks some years. So, and I know last year the Giants had a ton of picks, but. There's a big difference between, you know, first three round picks and first three or four round picks in in rounds four to seven. Because you're you're talking about percentages of rounds four to seven. Really a crapshoot. So now the Giants have these extra picks. They got Kadarius, Tony, because Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle weren't on the board. And everything that I've heard is that the Giants wanted one of those two guys. We're going to take them. Their contingency plan was USC offensive lineman. Elijah Vera Tucker. So they would have taken him if they couldn't move out and they absolutely were stuck there at 11. But if Waddle and Smith were gone, the plan was always to try and get back from 11. And it just so happened it worked out perfectly. The quarterbacks were on the board, not just one, but two. So now you have teams like the Saints, the Vikings, the Bears, all looking to move up, looking at the quarterback situation. And there's the Giants in a position of strength. 
Now, maybe this was the problem several years back when they had the Eli Apple draft and everything went down. They weren't in that position of strength. There wasn't the quarterback there sitting that everybody wanted, blah, blah, blah. But this time there was. And the Giants took advantage of it. They now have the Bears' first-round pick and fourth. And the Bears, you are going to spend the whole entire season, if you're a Giant fan, rooting for the Bears to stink it up. The Bears suck, and all of a sudden the Giants are in great shape. Great, great, great shape. And the Bears got a tough schedule. Now, they've been 8-8 eight and eight, last couple years, I believe, and 12-4 and four the year before that. So they haven't, they're not a bad team. But maybe a couple things go wrong. Their quarterback play is garbage, completely possible. My, who knows if Justin Fields is even going to play this year. They have Andy Dalton, but you're rooting against the Bears. That's simple. Now, the Giants get Kadarius Tony. Now, I'll go through some of the picks here and what I heard. Really the top three, maybe four. After that, just special teams. But So the Giants trade back, get to 20, still go wide receiver, which to me is a little bit of a surprise there that they were so intent on getting a wide receiver that they're going to get a wide receiver at 11, whether it's Smith or Waddle, or if they fall back, Tucker's off, Vera Tucker's off the board. They're going to still go back to wide receiver and get Tony. So a little surprising to me. We haven't thought, I, obviously, when you're drafting 11, I didn't do a ton of work on what they would pick at at 20. So Kadarius Tony did not come up in a ton of conversations. Now, speaking to people around the league, when the deal goes down, I'm, I, I get texts from a bunch of, a couple executives and scouts. And the one ex, first executive that texted me, going over to my head, he thought the Giants, you remember Dave Gettleman said he would trade back, but he doesn't want to get fleeced. Well, he thought the Giants did the fleecing in this one. So he was very complimentary of the move. Not quite as complimentary as the pick. Thought uh, explosive, talented, but not polished. Uh, player you have to sort of plan for. Almost like a gadget type player. Uh, he thought he was kind of raw. The comp that there's been for Kadarius Tony from wide receiver from Florida, real playmaker, joystick, uh, is Percy Harvick. He compared himself to Devontae Adams and Alvin Kamara. But, uh, yeah, he probably has a little higher feeling about himself than everyone else around the league now. I spoke to another executive for another team that reached out to me, thought they were going to draft Devonta Smith, was pretty confident about that, and they thought that was a big fan of Kadarius Tony as a player. Thought he was a very good player. So Very physical, similar physically to Jalen Waddle is something I was told. Good player. Plus got the picks they wanted. Uh, next year, multiple ones was the key. These are things that I have written down next to Katarius Tony's name. So he does the same type of things as Waddle. Not quite as fast, but better contact balance and harder to tackle. And just going to be a really good player. So mostly positive things about Katarius Tony. So they move back from 11 to 20. They pick up a first round pick next year and a fourth rounder. And then they still get a first-round talent receiver by pretty much all accounts in Kadarius Tony. So a lot to like there. Now, there's a little concern. My only concern is more about Kadarius Tony, the person. Is it going to work out? Had a little problems at Florida. Uh, got suspended at one point. There was an altercation with some locals of Florida. And uh, while nothing illegal, he did at one point get pulled over with a loaded rifle in the back seat. Now, that worries me a little bit. And then you talk to him, never been to New York. You know, this this could be a lot from him. He's a, a, a he's into music, raps, has like, you know, album out there or songs at least. I don't know which one, but, you know, all these things. You, 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 you take it all and you put it in the pot and you assess the risk. So I do have a little concern. 
about whether it's going to work out in New York, right? There's there's definitely some things in the past that make you think twice, but the Giants say they did the leg the legwork, the groundwork, like the got to know him as a person, really know him as a person and feel comfortable enough to make this decision without any hesitation. Now the second round pick, Aziz Ojolari, also came with some questions. Because Ojolari who's generally was considered a mid to late round, probably a late round first pick by most people I talk to. Because most people do expect the edge rushers usually get pushed up in the draft. Not in this one. They, they, there was a couple that went at the very, very end of the first round. Joe Tryon, uh, Jason Oa. Who, uh, he's not Jason Oa anymore. He went back to his original first name or his real first name. Uh, but I don't know that off the top of my head. So I'm still going to call him Jason Oa. Only because nothing against him. And not to spite him, I just don't know off the top of my head, remember what his first name was. So they go back, they get Aziz Ojolari. They're picking 42nd in the second round, the Giants. Dave Gettleman trades back again, which makes you wonder, we'll get to this in a little bit with Dan Graziano, just how much Joe Judge might be helping pull these strings here, right? The Giants never trade back in their history, basically, at least modern history, recent history. I should say, for most of for Jerry Reese and, and Dave Gettleman eras. And now all of a sudden they had nothing to do, not once, but twice. Now there's only one new face really in that room. It's Joe Judge. So, you know, I'm doing the math there. You're doing the math there. We kind of see where this is going. So they get Ojolari at 50. Now he has a knee problem. My understanding is this on the knee. He had a high school knee injury. I believe he tore his ACL. So he's 20 years old, by the way. He's still really young, but there's some arthritis there, something, some sort of arthritis. So it could be a problem later on. Some teams labeled it sort of degenerative, now degenerative knee. Now, I did speak to one other team that told me that they had him off their board. I spoke to two other teams that told me he was on their board, that they didn't think it was that big a deal. The Giants, obviously, he was on their board as well. Dave Gettleman, even, I think, in a radio interview this week, went as far as saying, you know, when we heard about the knee stuff, out there as he's falling was the first we heard of it. I really hope that's not the case because a lot of uh, every team seemed to know about it. There was there is some concern about his knee, and that's why he was available at fifty because there were some teams that wouldn't pull the trigger on that, on that kind of move. Now some of the things I've written next to Ojolari from talking to people throughout the process late first question mark. So that's kind of where he was plugged in, pegged into, plugged into. Great talent will keep getting better. Fits what they do with the Giants. Uh, checks a lot of boxes for you. Middle end of the first round, so that's the same as what we kind of said before. Really talented. Trade back possible for him, which ends up happening, but not in the first round. In the second round, which has to be exciting for you because this is a guy who has the versatility, has the explosiveness off the edge, can even go back work in space a little bit. It's the kind of guy that fits what the Giants like to do with their multiple defense. Pretty impressive, said another scout. Hard to find 34-inch arms. So there's a lot to like with Ojolari. Good player. Then they do, in the third round, they they see Aaron Robinson. The Giants are picking, I believe, 76. They move up five spots, get up to 71. Uh, give up the fifth-round pick that they had uh gotten earlier for in part of that Bears deal, move up five picks, take Aaron Robinson from UCF. Player a lot of teams seem to really like. Same with Ellerson Smith, who they take in round four. 
pick 116 out of, the, out of Northern Illinois. So Ellerson Smith is an interesting one because Northern Illinois, that the FBS, he they, did, his, they didn't play football this year, you and I. So he basically did not play, impressed at the senior bowl, really like a high upside guy. Like, so they took a flyer on a guy. But if you're going to take a flyer, the Giants' edge rusher is the way to go for them. So fourth round, really good athlete, maybe a guy who would have been drafted a round or two higher had this been a normal year, and there was football and a combine for him and all these personal workouts. That's the kind of guy that you wanted to take this year. So I like the concept. Again, to me, it's about process more than player. I'm not going to sit here and tell you, for sure, this player is good. This player is bad. People are so wrong about that all the time. I'm not that guy who's going to sit there and tell you a player sucks, stinks, can't make it. He's not going to do good. Or this player is a stud. He's going to be a third round steal. He's 100% going to be a player. Like nobody knows that. The odds of a fourth round player breaking through are probably what? 10%? You're talking pretty low odds. But I like the process. Again, all about the process for me here. Sound like, you know, the, the Philadelphia 76ers, the process, which, by the way, netted them Joel Embiid. If you watch the NBA, you realize they took enough cracks at it until they finally got the one, the stud. And that's the same thing I'm, I'm asking for here. Just keep cracking at picks till you get the one. Edge rusher, a good spot to do it. Aaron Robinson, a player I know other teams liked. Physical, not the biggest guy, but physical, can play the slot. So Darnay Holmes, watch your back, man. Got to perform. Tells you kind of what the Giants weren't 100% thrilled with what they saw on the field from Darnay Holmes last year, especially in the first half of the season. So uh, now that Aaron Robinson's going to get in there, probably compete with him right away. That secondary, massive competition. And you see, you see a trend here? Secondary, big-time competitions. Nobody can feel comfortable. Everybody has to go out there and perform. Safety, same thing. They have three really, really quality safeties. Tight end, loaded up on the tight end room. Wide receiver room, now stacked. Sterling Shepard, he can't sit there and be comfortable anymore. Nobody should be comfortable. And that's kind of what they want, right? That's a very Bill Belichickian kind of thing that now Joe Judge has created, that whole competition thing. So the Giants, are, their roster looks a lot better than it did last year two years ago, three years ago. There's some talent on that roster now. And even guys like Lorenzo Carter, hey, coming off injury, doesn't matter, man. You got to show it this year. And even the same with Daniel Jones. They now have the draft capital, if they need to, to pivot off Daniel Jones next year. So, hey, we got you all these weapons. You better show it. Offensive line is the one spot we'll talk about in a second. Still a big concern. Gary Brightwell, six-rounder, running back at Arizona. Rodarius Williams, cornerback, six-rounder out of Oklahoma State. That rounded out the Giants draft. The thing I will say about those two picks, and that really stuck out to me, special teams, special teams, special teams. Those are Joe Judge picks right there, saying we need to improve our special teams. Remember, coverage units were not good last year under Joe Judge and, and Thomas McGahee. Two very well-regarded Special teams coaches. But their special teams units, the coverage units, were not great. And you can see with these picks where they're going there. Those are special teams coverage picks. Now, offensive line. Giants didn't get one. They, they were looking. Dave Gettleman even made a comment. So don't let this, don't think that they weren't looking. And Joe Judge has kind of repeated it over the past couple of days. That they've been looking. 
Either somebody jumped him, picks were taken. Landon Dickerson was a guy that definitely were interested in round two. Didn't get to them at pick 42. Eagles again took Landon, uh, took the Giants guy. Just the way it worked out here. Now the Giants, again, they picked up a valuable extra pick next year. Still got an edge rusher. I, I almost, I personally probably prefer that. The Giants draft last year, they said, we're going to address this offensive line. Took the three guys, right? They took Matt Parrott, who is going to get every opportunity to start a right tackle. Andrew Thomas, who's going to start a left tackle. And Shane Lemieux, fifth round. So he's going to start at one of the guards. Okay? So they took three guys last year. And they're hoping in year two, they can get coached up, just show natural year two improvement, and the Giants' offensive line will be better than most people outside the room think. And as Dave Gettleman said, the Giants think much more highly, and I'm paraphrasing, the Giants think much more highly of their offensive line than every than us and everyone outside of their building. And I mentioned to you, this to you before. They do. Doesn't mean they wouldn't have taken anybody. They would have, especially someone they could plug in at guard. Remember, Will Hernandez is the guy I look at and say, hey, they didn't want to play Will Hernandez last year. He had COVID, got benched, never came back in the lineup. So I don't think they're dying to play Will Hernandez. They signed Zach Fulton. Hey, they go out and sign another veteran offensive lineman. I absolutely would not put that past them and put that out of the realm of possibilities. Actually, I'd be surprised if they didn't add a veteran offensive lineman. Now we'll get to that in the next episode or a couple weeks down the line. But for now, that's where we stand. This is a better Giants team. Added a solid offensive weapon in Kadarius Tony. I won't say natural wide receiver, at least at this point of his progression, probably going to be used all over the field. Uh, jet sweeps, reverses, uh, possibly him throwing the ball as a former quarterback, uh, punt return, special teams, slot, outside. You'll see a little bit of everything probably from him this year. Not your natural, hey, go out, play the X receiver spot, see you later, throw you, you know, 60, 70 balls in a season. No, I don't see that happen. But it'll be up to the Giants coaching staff, Jason Garrett, Joe Judge, Freddie Kitchens, some of these new coaches that they brought in to scheme up ways to use Kadarius Toney. And then on the defensive side, Aziz Ojolari. Oh, you're going to see him play a role in Patrick Graham's defense. Oh, yeah. The Giants think he was one of the best pass rushers in this draft. Has some of that explosiveness off the edge. Just a good, solid player. So worst case, you're going to see him, in my opinion, probably as a pass rush specialist. Probably more, though. Especially as the year goes along. So a good draft for the Giants, especially when looking at the process and how they went about logically making decisions and making picks. That's what I'm most impressed by. That's what I look at and say they did that well this year, and it'll pay dividends next year as well. So with that, let's get to our guest. A lot of good Giants information here. On to the next one.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Let's welcome in Dan Graziano, former Giants uh, beat reporter. And uh, he, he spent this past weekend covering the Giants as well for ESPN on television. Uh, follows them very closely. Obviously still knows the organization very, very well. Dan, welcome. Hope you got some rest, uh, you know, revitalized <laughs> post-draft. Yeah, it's a long couple of days, but it's fun. I'm, I'm doing fine. How are you? Doing good. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, like you're sitting there, you're just talking to everyone, you're going over scenarios. And for a lot of like, it's almost like gossip prediction. Uh, you, you, yeah. put a lot of, you put a lot of work into that, though. It's a strange concept. Yeah, it's uh, basically it's a lot of work just to get to informed speculation is your best case scenario because, uh, you know, nobody's being fully honest with you. Uh, so you just got to sort through what you think is real and what you think makes sense. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. But uh, it'll be nice to wind it down a little bit for a few weeks here. Yeah, for sure. So uh, all that informed speculation that we talk about, right? And then the yeah. Giants are picking 11th in the draft. Dave Gettleman has never in his life traded back I mean, as a general manager. Ever. In any round. Yeah. 0 for 54. Not only does he trade back once, Dan. No, no. They trade back with their first pick. They get to 11 to 20. They pick up a future first and fourth. Then they trade back again in their second pick. They move from 42, get back to 50. <laughs> How surprising was this to you when you when you hear this, when you see this? Not once, Dan, but twice. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I mean, I, I just – look, the Bears' offer was incredible. Like, I, I don't know why they didn't offer it to the Cowboys – uh, and if they did, I don't know why the Cowboys would have said no. Uh, but um, I, yeah, I, I want. I wonder. And here's the question: I haven't been able to get answered. If if the Eagles had not gone and gotten Devontae Smith right in front of them, would they have stayed put and taken him? That's the question I'd like to get answered. But right. I'd like to think that that offer from the Bears was so good that you know a first round a first round pick next year, an extra first round pick next year. I mean, how, I don't see how you turn that down. No matter, even if you did love Devontae Smith, to only drop back nine spots and still get a receiver that you feel really good about. So, yeah, good for him. And then in the second round, yeah, I mean that was that was smart, and they end up with a player that they like, um, probably at at, at or uh, or better than uh, the value they had assigned to him. So, yeah, good for them. I mean that's, that's how you're supposed to do it. I mean we've talked for years and years, right? This is the frustrating thing about watching the Giants draft is they lock onto a spot, they lock onto a guy, they fall in love, uh, and as a result. You know, very often it doesn't work out, but um, yeah, I don't know if these particular picks will work out, but I think when assessing them, people have to keep in mind what came with them and how the ability they'll be, they'll have to control things uh, from their own standpoint in next year's draft. This is almost like, I mean, to me, it feels like, isn't it almost like the anti-Eli Eli Apple, right? I of mean, course, year, the anti-Eric Flowers. The, anti- the two yeah. guys go. You know, Conklin and Floyd, and all of a sudden the Giants are are stuck there. They don't maneuver out of there. Right. They draft Eli Apple. It seemed like just a forced yeah. rush, panic well, pick type deal. 
Well, because remember that they had their eye on Conklin and Floyd and the Titans went up to get Conklin in front of them and the Bears went up to get Floyd in front of them. So they got outmaneuvered by two teams and then they got caught flat footed and that you can't have that. So, you know, good for them for being able to react. I, I, you know, <laughs> we all enjoyed Gettleman's answer right before the draft about why he's never traded down, how he's <laughs> tried and he, he didn't want to get fleeced and all that stuff. Uh, and, and, and good for him because I always thought that the teams that didn't trade down were teams that just didn't, for whatever reason, have the ability or inclination or both to, to operate nimbly in that 10 minute window. And they were able to do it this year. So that, that goes to show that they were well prepared and that uh, they reacted appropriately to something that, that they could have. It could have been really frustrating, right? Two division teams making a trade that I mean, they, they wouldn't have seen that coming. The Eagles and Cowboys trading. So that happens, and all of a sudden, um, a receiver that they probably had their eye on uh, ends up going to a division rival. That could have been very, but yeah, you know, they kept their cool and they and they did what they should have done. Which brings us to the point. I mean, to the you know that point that every that everybody's thinking, right? How much this, this is such a, a straying from the norm for the Giants, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you just don't you, you you never saw this. I mean, really, in our lifetime, we've pretty much never seen them be this nimble and these make these kind of moves in the draft. So the only thing that's, I mean, you look at the room that's in there, right? It's uh, Dave Gettleman, his Mark Cons, who's been with Gettleman forever. Uh, you know, Chris Mara, John Mara, Kevin Abrams, Chris Pettit, all guys who've been with the organization a long time. I, I might, I'm missing a, a couple of It's a judge, the security guy, Ronnie Barnes, and one other person. I'm, it's not coming. Oh, Tim, Tim McDonald, who's also been with mm-hmm. the organization a long time, member of the family. A lot of familiar faces. The only different face there is Joe Judge, right? That, that that's yeah on the, on the new side. So, yep. how much is his influence in that room and in this process? Well, I think you have. To, I mean, obviously, th- there is a lot, and I know that he was, you know, in favor of amassing more picks. I know from talking to Joe that you know over the past couple of years, not necessarily right before the draft, but you know, o- over the past year or so. Um, that he thinks, you know, they need to continue to add players to build out the roster, that they need depth in more places. And, you know, to add picks is the right way to approach that. So, yeah, yeah, I think put two and two together, right? You have a coach in place that that wants right. more picks and you have an organization, you know, that does never trade it down. All of a sudden they trade down and get more picks. It sounds to me like he has uh, a great deal of influence. So historically, the Giants have operated as, you know, as uh, most people listening to this, I'm sure know, you know, sort of a separation of powers with the GM and the coach. Uh, but if it's more collaborative now than that, then that I think is to their benefit. Absolutely. I mean, you, you see, I mean, it, it almost looked like a New England Patriots type draft. It really did. I mean, you know, with, yeah, with the way well, they moved, got guys, collected picks for the future. Uh, it, it really had that feel. And then when they wanted to go up and get someone, you, you still were able to do that, right? They did it. They did it in the third round. Yep. So. Um, yeah, it yeah. really has just a different feel. I mean, I, I, that's just my opinion on that. I, that the, the feel that I'm getting on it, you you kind of in the same boat. I it seems like. I mean, look, we we do all this stuff before the draft. We did a thing on first round picks and how infrequently they get to a second contracts with the team that drafted them. Right, forty two percent in the first round. Like <laughs> that's where you should have the best hit rate, right? And it's still not even fifty percent. So. The teams that do this well are not the teams that, and I know scouts hate to hear this, the teams that do this well are not the teams that evaluate the players the best. 
They're the teams that that operate and and uh, move up and down and assign the appropriate value to their picks based on what's happening around them. And the Giants have historically not been such a team, and this year they were. And again, I think fans should embrace that and and appreciate what went on. Uh, even if you don't like the Kadarius Tony pick, and I don't know, I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a scout. I don't, I don't know how to evaluate uh, wide receiver play. Um, even if you don't like that guy, they do, first of all. And second of all, you have to, it was him in a first round, like <laughs> it was him in two picks next year. All you heard before the draft, Jordan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a lot of people were saying, this is not the draft to be in. Nobody could evaluate. We don't know anything about the medical. We want picks next year. We want 2022 picks as much as we possibly can. And they ended up getting three of them. Yeah. I mean, that that's to me is the ultimate win here. We don't know if these guys are any good. You never know in the draft. Nobody they got, does. They got two first round type <laughs> guys and yeah. And three future picks. You just, you want to shoot the dice as many times as possible. I think it was yes. Eric DaCosta said it recently. You know, and the, the Ravens yeah. have been great at this. Uh, he he said, it's a lot of luck. And look, we've amassed the most picks over whatever period of time they were talking about. And so they basically got the most cracks at it. And then and guess what? They've also it, drafted know, the most percentage. They've also drafted the most pro bowlers over the last five years. <laughs> right. So, so they're playing a volume game and they're playing the percentages. And that's the right way to do it. I mean, he, that's a little self-deprecation. I'm sure he just didn't want to say we're, we're better than this at everybody else. But there, there's a lot of truth, I still <laughs> think, to what he's saying. Yeah. So the Giants take a wide receiver. You mentioned Kadarius Tony. We don't know ultimately what he's going to be. But a lot of people like him around the league. Some think he's a little raw. Regardless, how did you what, – what went through your mind when you say, okay, it wasn't Devonta Smith, but they obviously still wanted a wide receiver. We know they signed yeah. Kenny Galladay. We know they added um, – John Ross, I know you don't really count him and predict him as part of your future, but they made no, moves this offseason. Take, take it a shot, just, right. Right. So yeah. to go back to the well here in the draft, what was the feeling from, from what you heard around the league, and what did you think? Um, I, I thought receiver was a way they could definitely go in the first round, uh, among others, but it, it, I didn't realize they were as intent on getting one uh, as they ended up being. So I'm looking at, you know, what, what's the big picture, right? What Sterling Shepard got left on his contract after 2021 and guaranteed money? Nothing, right? <laughs> so uh, what does, um, you know, where, where is, is um, you know, you, you sign Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay, a lot of money. Not a wide receiver, but a free, you know, he's on his fifth year right now, so. Right. Galladay, you know, good player, should be a good player for what they're paying him. And but, you know, he has a little bit of an injury history and, and it's recent. Right. So put all your eggs in that basket. Maybe not the, the best way to go. Ingram, and Kyle Rudolph, the tight end situation. Right. You mentioned Ingram one year left. Rudolph, we don't know what you're going to get out of him at this point in his career. So depth at that spot and quality depth. And I mean, look, this is a player. I don't know. Like the way I watch college football. Like it's on in the airport, it's on in the hotel when I get there. Right on Saturdays, a travel day. Right. So like I, I, I watch it as a fan, and you know when Florida's on, like when this guy played, they were, I mean, they were really good as an offense, right? Yeah. I mean, I know Kyle Trask liked them a lot. So I, and obviously the tight end Pitts had the, the big year, but I mean this was a productive player when he was on the field, and and um, you know they obviously like him, and and again at the spot considering what else came with him. Just made too much sense. Their second round pick is then is Aziz Ojolari. And mm-hmm. he's available at 50 in part because you hear stuff around the league about his knee. Uh, yeah. The Giants say that that they don't know where that came from. That was a surprise. I mean, what did, how much did you hear about it? 
Would it, how much do you think it, it prevented teams from go, really going after him, or was this kind of his value, mid-second round pick? I think based on the conversations I had with some teams that were looking at him, there was a feeling that he was kind of a second round guy that some people feared might go in the first because the pass rush crop was thin this year. At least it was perceived to be. And that position so, usually does get propped up a little bit. Right. So you think people overdraft it because you need so many pass rushers. So to get him at 50, I think fits with, you know, what the giants probably had in mind in terms of what he was worth. Maybe again, Maybe they had him ranked even a little bit ahead of that. So they got him at good value. So whether it's the knee, whether it's just a, you know, I, I think he's a, I think from what I was, from what I was told, he was, you know, he's viewed as a, as a solid, you know, reliable kind of player. Not, he's not, you know, he's not like chase young, right. He's not, he's not going to like, you know, blow it out of the water on the tape, right. but a good player that obviously you, you can, you can continue to make him better. And I think second round was probably the right spot to grab him for an organization that, you know, I feel like they've needed pass rush for, for what, for years. Like it, it seems like it's been an issue for a long time now. So what, like Tuck um, and JPP, you yeah. know, his hand, and they had that little, hand. right. They had a little one. Olivier Vernon came in and played well at the beginning and there was, but you know, nothing like certainly like the championship teams. And you know, you know, ownership views it as, Hey, whenever we've been good, it's been based around a pass rush. So uh, hopefully this guy helps lead them back uh, along that road. So now you look at the totality of it all, right? They they mm-hmm. make these these moves in the draft. They got their picks for the future. Uh, you look at the you know they signed Adoree Jackson. They signed Kenny Galladay, Kyle Rudolph. Obviously, they're trying to fix this offense. Got Daniel yep. Jones weapons galore. What's the overall feel on where the where this team is? And and I'll get to the second part after because there's now expectations that they have to live up to. Sure. And I think, you know, so much is tied to the quarterback, right? I mean, like this is, if this guy's going to be a franchise quarterback, I think this is the year we're going to find out. And if he is, then they're fine. Then, 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 then you're going to, you're going to look at the future and you're going to be hopeful about it because there are good pieces around him on offense. I'm a little curious if there's more plan for the offensive line, you know, not drafting offensive line was surprising to me. There are, there's some guys out there. I mean, there's still some free agents that are good players, that you know you could end you could look into and end up adding, but um, I am curious. They, I, I think you know they they picked some guys last year that they think are going to take a step forward, and and that's uh, that's kind of the bet they're making on the offensive line. But you know if they can't protect Daniel Jones, it's going to be hard to to find out what he's got in terms of his long term outlook. So uh, that that'd be what me like if if I'm looking at. What what am I worried about? If I'm a Giants fan, that's that's probably the area where I where I have sort of more hope than confidence uh, sure. in terms of the offensive line. Is that fair? Yeah, no, I mean, look, they have you could you could make the case that at all five spots on the offensive line, there's some some uncertainty. Like you don't have like that so, lockdown guy. You know, there's no Trent Williams at left tackle. You're just, okay, we got Trent Williams. We're good. We don't have to worry about that guy. Yeah. You know, so. Well, they picked the guy fourth, so you know. Well, they better hope he's that Trent guy, but picked. he wasn't that guy last year. <laughs> right, exactly. He needs <laughs> like to until he proves that it. guy. Yeah, they yeah. they need him to be that guy. That's that's a yeah. that's a non-negotiable for them if they want this team to be good. Like they they're going to need Andrew yeah. Thomas to make a big a big big jump. So yeah, same I, way same way they're going to need Daniel Jones to be a good quarterback. He was the sixth pick. I mean, if you miss there, you're you know you're set back as as everybody knows. Well, absolutely, but that's really why the Giants, which we are where we are, because they have. 
these three top six picks the last three years. We got uh, you know Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, who hasn't played in now two or three years. Basically, he's been injured, and Andrew yeah. Thomas. So until those guys, you know, perform at the level that they need him to, when you're investing that much in them, it's going to be hard for this to be a really good team. Yeah, and I think that's that's it, right? So, so if you have Saquon coming back, and if you expect Jones to take a step forward, and you expect Thomas to take a step forward, then the approach we were talking about with Judge in terms of adding depth across the roster is the right way to go because you have your blue chippers, right? And then, by the way, you just spent big money on Kenny Galladay, on a Dory Jackson. You know who the stars of your roster are supposed to be. What you need is to build out that backbone of your roster, and that's where the overall unproductive drafts of the last really decade plus have uh, have set them back. They haven't really been able to – you know, to, to fill in on the back end in the middle of the roster. So, you know, that that's where the focus is right now on, on the coaching staff. And it's probably the right place. I mean, I'm going to do this in a future episode, but I, I do want to go compare like what the roster was when Joe judge arrived to what it is now and yeah. see how improved it is. I mean, like you said, at least there's those marquee players, like significant players that you look at and say, Oh, this guy is good. You know, we we know we at least we have a good player here, here, and here, and at least they have that. And then the building depth around it obviously is the final, you know, just the, the final straw there to creating a good team. Now people are saying they're all optimistic about the team. They spent all this money. They did this in the draft. You're saying, all right, the Giants should compete for the NFC East, or the Giants should win the NFC East. Uh, the bottom line is they were a six and ten team last year in a terrible division. Right. Yeah. Only so what, came out. What is what is know. realistic? <laughs> What's a realistic expectation? Let's start with let's start with that. Like, what should the expectations be for this team that was six and ten in a really bad division last year, but now they made all these moves this offseason? I mean, I, I don't think I don't think it's ever unrealistic to expect to win the NFC East, uh, no matter who you are. <laughs> I, I, I look like they haven't had a repeat champion since oh three oh four. So I know it's not going to be Washington, right? <laughs> and they look like they may be the best team. So, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I think. We use that logic on Gettleman, though, backfired there. Yeah, <laughs> no, I understand. It, it, it's, look, the, um, the Giants have, I think, every reason to expect to be an improved team this year. And if you're talking about an extra two or three wins, then recent history tells you that puts you in contention for a division title or even a wild card. I mean, there was an eight and eight wild card team in the NFC last year in the bears. So if you have Saquon back healthy, if Daniel Jones takes a step forward, if Galladay is what you're paying him to be, you know, I think you have the, I think there's legitimate reason to hope. I don't know that it's, you know, you're not going to, challenge the Buccaneers and, 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 you know, and the, the right. Packers, well, we don't know about the Packers, uh, those uh, <laughs> NFC West teams on um, Jordan love led Packers. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. I don't think you have the, the right as a Giants fan to expect a Super Bowl season, but I think if you're hoping that things get better and that you have, you know, I, I guess they had reason to, to, to pay attention to games in late December last year too, but uh, you want, you want it to be yeah, a, a better. It's than been rare though. It's right. Rare over the so last eight I, years if here. that's your hope, I think you have reason to be able to hope for that. I do. I mean, I, I think they're a team that, that could could outplay, um, you know, what, what it looks like on paper. I think Joe Judge showed a lot in his first season as coach in terms of connecting with the players. And uh, if the quarterback can play and if he can stay healthy, by the way, if he can stay right in this Daniel Jones now, like two yeah. years, he's had injury problems. 
that, you know, we're, we're, you're trying to live up to your predecessor, the, the guy who was literally never hurt. Um, you know, it, it's, that's a big deal. And I think, you know, it, you can get, I think Giants fans sometimes can forget the value of that, right? The guy that answered the bell literally every week for oh. what, 14 years. So yeah. I think yeah, Jones has to show that he can keep himself healthy and that he can, that he can play at the level they need him to play at, or at least that he can get closer to it. And I, I think they have, I, I, I am not going to be surprised if it's a contending team in the NFC East. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And especially with the Vegas, like, in Vegas, who is which of the three teams? Right, well, I assume the Eagles are not going to be in this in this uh, group. But so by the time this season Hurts starts, is great. I'm know. just saying, by the time the season starts, <laughs> which team is going to be the favorite to win the? I think division? it'll be like the- it could. You could literally make the argument for Washington, the Giants, and Dallas. Yeah. And I, I think they'll kind of jump around de- depending as as we move forward here. But I, I, I think those three teams, which one actually? becomes the favorite to win the division, at least in the narrative by the time the season comes around, where, where would you lean? Yeah. In the narrative. I mean, look in Vegas, it'll probably end up being the Cowboys just because of the way betting lines are set and how people like to bet on the Cowboys. But you know, we have to see them play a little defense before we like them. (laughs) Um, And the, and the quarterback is coming off a significant injury. Uh, They're hopeful and they, they feel like he's on his way back, but uh, that that's not to be under estimated so right could take um, some time. it could legit realistically take him some time to come back and be himself i mean that's not yeah. unheard of at all i mean look i do think all joking aside that that washington if they get reliable quarterback play probably looks like the best overall team the defense looks awesome uh they added some pieces on offense and then, you know if they can get their line together they're probably you talk about narrative wise that's probably a team people will pick uh i won't because i believe in the whole uh <laughs> no repeat champions. And I've seen it too many times. Like how did the Eagles not win? Like think of the number of things cosmically that had to go wrong for the Eagles to not win that division last year. Like, like Carson Wentz had to forget (laughs) how to play football. Like, I mean, like that's, that, that was not something foreseeable, but these, these evil forces that are at work that work against the defending champion in the NFC East are not to be underestimated. You're just going to play the odds, you know, like you kept, you, we keep saying they're not going to trade. They're not going to trade. And, you know, it worked for us for like nine out of 10 years. So, you you know, the one year, yeah, you just exactly. got, the one year it doesn't, you're just like, okay, I was wrong. So, you know, you just keep rolling with it yeah. for the NFC East, you know, no one's going to win. And then eventually, oh, no, you know, more than that. 25 years later, you'll be like, oh, I missed once out of 25 years. Big deal. No, plus we've got our explanation. You did it right at the beginning here with uh, with Joe Judge influence and like that. What's changed? But like now it's it's easy to see why we were wrong. It's things are different. It's not that right. we were wrong. It's that it's changed. <laughs> that is true. Well, Dan covered uh, first. You came and you did the NFC East blog, right? So you were kind of covering the uh-huh. Giants at the time. What year was that? Yeah, first. My year first year at ESPN would have been twenty eleven. So the yeah. Super Bowl year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. 2011. So 2011. And then you go away, yeah. and you become a national when I took over. So that's 20. So my years 13? on the beat were 13, 14, and 15. So all those right, were the years right. I covered. I came yeah. in, I was at NJ.com, right. And I took over at ESPN yeah. after the 15 season. So you're there from yeah, 11 those to 15. great years. So, yeah. <laughs> That was rough. Let's go. They were not Let's great go. years. Yeah. <laughs> Tom Coughlin, that was the end of Tom Coughlin. That was a, Tom's last three. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't great. Wasn't a great time. Yeah, yeah our, our relationship wasn't wasn't as great. I, I think I think you're pretty aware of that one. <laughs> you and Tom, Tommy, Tommy, and I. Yeah, yeah. that was rocky. He's so, happy to see. Let's take now, a little though. trip down memory lane. <laughs> All right, Dan Graziano's Giants 
coverage beat experience. Your okay. favorite moment during that time covering the Giants was? Well, you're counting the the uh, NFC East blog days, right? Yes. Yes, we got it. We got I mean, this, the, yeah, the, the, the Super Bowl run, like that was that was incredible to be around that. They were they were dead in the water, right? Like it was seven and seven on Christmas Eve and they're playing the Jets and the Jets are kind of beating them up. And then Victor Cruz catches a 99-yard touchdown, and that was it. They never looked back. They won the division the next week. They won the home game. They went into Green Bay and beat a 15-1 and defending Super Bowl champion Packer team. And then they won that muddy game in San Francisco. I mean, like, you know, by the time they got to Indy for the Super Bowl, I was like, nobody's beating these guys. Like, it, was, it was just it was fun to watch it. And uh, I was, you know. Storybook. It's one of those storybook, you know? like, ending type things. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know the pineapple story. This is the when I was the Giants in the middle of the year, and like they were on the power rankings, and they were in the top ten. And I was like, if the Giants are one of the ten best teams in the league, then I'm a pineapple. And so, and by the end of the year, when they were in the playoffs, I did like my weekly video predictions piece. Where I actually went to the supermarket and got a pineapple and like filmed it as if I were the pineapple talking. And uh, <laughs> I did so not know. I oh, had yeah, heard yeah. people yeah. calling you the pineapple yep. over the years. That is the genesis. And I of the didn't pineapple. get the yes. reference. Now I understand. There's the still plenty of my Twitter followers that will reference the pineapple forever, and, and rightfully so. <laughs> yeah, but, it's not um, something that you just shake. You literally talk so the pineapple the, on TV. Like, what do you expect is going to happen? Yeah, no, it's the pineapple. <laughs> that, that was the pineapple year. <laughs> Great story, by the way. I, didn't, I had no idea. <laughs> Favorite player to cover over this that time was who? Uh, well, Amukamar. Are you talking about like in, talking to him, like yeah, like to yeah, actually when, interview you, or to watch? You create the scale. You could create the scale. I mean, I, my my first thought was was Prince Amukamar because he was the best one to talk to. All uh, right, like in terms of the interview, um, you know, I, I just yeah yeah I got a lot of insight from him, and he was just a, a guy that was always helpful. So he was my favorite. Yeah, I would put Justin Tuck on that list. Yeah, uh, for Tuck sure. For very similar reasons, and and I honestly I don't I mean Eli Manning is not to be underrated as a guy to cover. I mean like he was he was giving with his time, and and uh, if you went to him with something kind of offbeat that he didn't answer all the time, he he enjoyed it and played along. And uh, I think um, you know as, as high profile franchise quarterback types go, I thought he was pretty good to cover. We've been to some good ones. So best road trip during that time was. Best road trip during this. So, well, Halloween in New Orleans That's was, what was good. I was thinking about that one. That was, that was yours too? Something that came to my head. I came up with a cracked well, phone. It, That's all I know. <laughs> well, because remember the game too. That was the game that, that yeah, Eli threw touchdowns and Breeze threw seven. <laughs> and, that was, <laughs> and that was like a noon game the day after Halloween in New Orleans. So the entire city is pretty much hung over. And they're playing this game where they're they're. I mean, it's just going. It's like a ping pong game, uh, up and down the the field. So that that was probably the best road trip when you may mix in it because a bunch of you guys were in New Orleans for the first time, right? So uh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't me. I think I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't you. Maybe, there were some guys. You know what, maybe you're right. Maybe at the time that was the first one. I went back there a couple times after. I think Cratch or somebody I think was in there for the first time. Anyway, it was. Uh, we had a lot of fun that Saturday and um, it was fun kind of being in New Orleans with folks who were there for the first time. I was enjoy showing people around. Uh, but um, that's the and best you're right for a, anyway. for a pointless yeah. game, for a meaningless game that turned out to cool. be a great game or like a memorable game. Like Pretty this, memorable. One that you, this one, like you remember the details of, even though it's a game in the middle of a terrible season. Uh huh. Yeah. No, that was a, that was a, that was a memorable one that sticks with you. 
your favorite Tom Coughlin moment? Oh, gosh. <laughs> favorite Tom? Well, look, I mean, I got to be honest. Like, my favorite Tom Coughlin moment, I was coaching Little League Baseball. And there was, there was a kid on the team, on my son's team, who was, you know, he's um, – he has a, a, an issue. He's confined to a wheelchair and he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't move his arms and legs. And he's, you know, he's got a condition that, um, you know, sort of prevents him from, from doing all that stuff. He is, uh, he's obsessed with like coaching. He wanted to be on it. So he they put him on the team. Right. And he's, he, I haven't coached third base and helped me make out the lineup and all this kind of stuff. And, and he says to me one time, do you think I could ever meet Tom Coughlin? He's a big giants fan. So obviously, you know, I called Hanlon and, and uh, yeah, absolutely. So this kid and his family came out to a training camp practice one day and Coughlin like goes running over and makes a big fuss and signs everything and takes the picture. That's my favorite Tom Coughlin moment because right. that was, it was a, it was a heck of a thing for him to do, you know, for, for me and, uh, and especially for the kid. Uh, and obviously that's a memorable moment for him. So that that's you know, without getting into like, grumpy Tom stories, which I think everybody knows. I, I, I would tell that one instead because that was my, that one stands out. Yeah. That is uh typical Tom Coffin. Like that's he's grumpy. Actually it is right. And he does those kind of things. And like he, he, and even then he does yeah. a little grumpy sometimes not with the kid, but like, you know, fine, I'll do it. But like, yeah. you know, then he, he, he'll always do those kind of things. That's just kind of person he is really. Yeah. Well, he understands him. the right and, you know, he's a high profile guy and he knows, you know, he's making, he's making all this money. I mean, like this is, he understands the whole give and take of the, of the celebrity thing. And and I think, um, you know, I, I thanked him for doing it later and he was like, Oh, come on. Obviously I was going to do that. Like that wasn't even, I'm not even going to think twice about it. So, yeah. And uh, the one thing you don't miss from having to cover a team, one team specifically be on a beat all the time is what? No. Oh. Uh, you didn't like you, you. Let's make this quick. Dan Dan was not uh, ecstatic I mean, to be to be there the last couple of years. Like was it was not. See, it was you got to understand though. Like I had done fourteen years as a baseball beat writer. Like like I thought I was done with that. Right. <laughs> so so to be back on it was disappointing at that point. And and I see to me I like the variety. Right. Like I I like going to multiple training camps. So. I don't miss being at the same camp every day because I feel like uh, you know I'm I'm missing out on what uh, what other teams are doing. Maybe, maybe I have trouble focusing my attention. I don't know, but I, I like being different places. And I also you know those years were were rough. And by December, November, and December, the Giants were playing meaningless games. And I think as a sports writer, a sports reporter, you want to be at the big games, right? And so. You're, tell, uh, you're telling me here. Yeah, <laughs> I've been so, tired for eight years. <laughs> hey, you asked. So, <laughs> um, so I don't, I don't miss, you know, sort of uh, running the clock out in December as we did those years. And that's specific to those years. I mean, obviously there've been years on the giant speed where it wasn't like that, but um, yeah, that those were the, those were the, a couple of the things that kind of, you know, people see people are gonna hear this and say, oh, he's grumpy. He doesn't like the giants. I, I don't, I don't dislike the giants. I, I was writing, negative stuff about them because they were terrible yeah. at the time I covered them. If the Super Bowl run, um, I was not writing negative stuff about <laughs> See how that works, everybody. So yeah, I know yeah. I get it. I mean, anyway. So unless unless yeah. you're talking twenty sixteen, there hasn't been much of that lately going on at all. Yeah, there's that one flare up there, right? McAdoo's first year. Yeah, Ben. Yeah. Went eleven and yeah, five you fired before that next year was over. You, you remember Special. that playoff game in Green Bay well, I know. Oh phew. that was sick for sure. <laughs> I also remember the next year, me and you were on the phone, like 
going over, we, we had heard about the whole Dominique Rogers Cromartie thing. We're like, did they just Rogers kick Cromartie. him out of the building? <laughs> Rogers Cromartie, the uh, the benching of Eli for Geno Smith. 17 was a much more fascinating season than 16. Oh, yeah, right? 17. Like giant, was, Jenner Jenkins didn't show up in the middle of that 17 season? Yeah. That's yeah, when he that was decided that really he was going to celebrate his birthday. <laughs> you know. That was an interesting guy. Yeah. Rogers Cromartie, too. Remember Rogers Cromartie used to see every movie? Like oh, you could yeah, go yeah. talk to him about movies. He he would go like by himself to the movies almost every night, and like he was obsessed with seeing them. So he would he'd break down the movies for you. He was, he was an interesting guy. Oh, fascinating guy. He uh, had that suitcase that one yeah. day. Did you ever see that suitcase that he took on the road? I don't remember that. Yeah, like a, <laughs> you, you've probably gone by them, but he had a a Lightning McQueen suitcase. It was like mini one, <laughs> and he 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 like Instagrammed it or tweeted it or you know something, Snapchat or whatever. All right. And in the suitcase, like. He was going on a road trip, mm-hmm. and the the guys on the team before they got on the plane made him like open. The, he wanted to show them what was in it. There was mm-hmm. like nothing in it but like dollar bills and condoms. I think like just <laughs> stacks and stacks of dollar bills and condoms, and and a bottle of of alcohol. So that, that's what was in it. <laughs> and the guys were just going nuts when they saw it, and it was. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was a joke. I don't know, but who you know who knows with those days? But yeah. Dominique Rogers yeah. Camardi, very unique man, very unique man for sure. Yeah. After after yeah, he yeah. got after he got like suspended or he got like kicked out, he came yeah, in and he said, was. you know, she, I'm never doing that again. Five hundred forty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's for real. Five hundred forty thousand dollars to walk out that door, or something like that. Brings it, brings it, brings it home. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that that was. Yeah. I mean, that's the fun we get to have, I guess. Uh, you know, when when sure. there are bad when there are bad teams, so you make the best of it. But yeah, be thanks for taking us down memory lane and through the Giants. Yeah. Uh, Anytime. You uh, we we miss you. The pineapple, I now <laughs> understand. I didn't realize you didn't know that story. I didn't. Yeah. I had always heard the name. I just I didn't know the story. I, I actually <laughs> might have to dig go look and. Find that, find that video. See if I can find it out. There. I can't find it. I mean, it was so it was online only. You've obviously yes, looked. I've looked. <laughs> I've looked. It was online only, and it was, um, you know, because it was we were doing for the. It was a blog, right? Yeah, so it wasn't yeah. necessarily on TV. But I, I cannot find. It. If you find it, you got to let me know because I. I'm sure someone out there is going to dig it up. You know the. You know somebody like yeah. kept it in their. I file. hope so. Somebody I has like so a hard drive with this video in there, just so they could pull it out at a later date to like embarrass you or something. So if you're that person, if you're that person, let Dan, let me and Dan know, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, Dan. We'll do it again soon. Anytime. All right. All on right. to the next See one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. 
Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Let's wrap this episode up right here. I think we stuffed a lot of really good information into this episode. And then we also had a little fun there with Dan Graziano. We heard the pineapple story, which, you see, you learn something new every day. It's amazing. I learned something new today. I had heard that nickname of people calling him the pineapple before. I just assumed for some reason they thought he looked like a pineapple. I never really got it. And I guess that doesn't really make sense. But now, see, now you know. Aha! Aha! It's like you're, that genius moment where you finally realize, whoa, now I get it. The light bulb just turns on in your head. All right, let's close out here with a little Jordan on the beat. This is the part of the episode where I tell you what it's like to be a New York Giants reporter, work for ESPN, cover the NFL in general. And this week, I'm going to take you inside what it's like to cover Dave Gettleman, the general manager. And something that I've noticed, and it was pretty apparent after the Giants draft wrapped up, He's up there. He, you know, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and Chris Pettit, they talked after every day of picks. You know, the Giants do a good job. They make all of them available. Uh, they're accessible. And so the Giants make their, you know, day three picks. They're up there. They're kind of recapping the draft, and Dave Gettleman's answering questions. Six people ask questions by my count. Okay, there was a couple follow-ups in there. Some people have follow-ups. But six people ask questions. On three of the six, Dave Gettleman referred to uh, outside perception, uh, what you guys think. Uh, the media says it's a passing thing. Here, listen for yourself. Okay, that was one example. But three times, right? It shows me and it tells me when I hear that, that says he's obviously paying attention to what all these other people are saying, which if you're paying attention to what the media is saying, what fans are saying, what the perception is, I mean, think about all the stupid things that you could see from fans and media or anybody on social media or just like when people talk about the Giants or football in general. If you paid attention to all of these people and all some of the, all of these opinions and some of them are ridiculous, some of them are, are good, some of them are smart, but if you paid attention to everything, you'd just be wasting all your time. You'd be so unproductive. Like, what is he bothering, worrying about, you know, what our perception is of the offensive line or what? Our feeling is that it's a passing league. He could have said those same comments without showing that or making it seem like he's overly worried about what everyone else is thinking about him and what's being said about him. And that that's the impression that I get. That's what that's what it comes off as to me. And it seems like a total waste. I mean, but but this is kind of you see this. This is a theme. This isn't like the first time it's happened with Dave Gettleman. This is this is the theme that's been ongoing for now a couple of years. A lot of you guys, or you seem to think we know better. Like you, sure you should know better. You probably you do know better. You probably do know better, but you're not always right. And it just you could say the same things without saying that. It makes you seem like you're you think you're smarter than everybody else in the room. It shows arrogance. And my opinion is, I think it's unnecessary, and it makes him look makes him look bad. My opinion. Now, I granted, I'm not the best example in the world. I hear 
I see things that hear and see people that they say about me sometimes or just in general. And I've had weak spots where I responded as well. Like we're all human, but this is a theme here. This isn't a one-off. It's now becoming a regularity. So these are the kind of things you deal with as a reporter and that you listen to and that you pay attention to. And I asked Dave Gettleman a question, pretty much what everyone's thinking, like what, how much more involved is Joe judge? You know, is, is he, is this, are his fingerprints all over every move? It's what we all thought when we, we saw this draft in the tradebacks, right? And he brushed it off the first time. And I followed up with just a simple, like, you know, uh, you know, what, what did change for him in year two compared to year one in, in his, uh, you know, work with everybody in the organization with you. And he just totally brushed it off and didn't want to go there at all. So, Hey, more, everyone's, he's entitled to do that. That's fine. That's part of this dance that we do. But, uh, as a reporter, it's just something you deal with. I, he, he chuckled at the first question and then no matter what I asked the second question, he was, he wasn't going to answer it and was basically just thought I was getting at the same thing. And I was trying to make a point that Dave Gettleman's being phased out by Joe judge, which isn't necessarily the case because if you go read the article that I wrote, that's not necessarily what it was, but he thought that's where I was going. And that's, he took the route of, I'm just going to brush this off, say we work collaboratively, it's a joint effort, which I get it, it is. They all do work together. And it is a, a joint collaborative effort. But it doesn't mean Joe Judge's voice isn't getting louder in the room, or his involvement isn't different in year two than it was in year one. I mean, last year, think about it, he was there for a few months. He has to jump right into the process. It's a whole whirlwind for him. I'm sure in year two, he feels more comfortable. He's been, he, as he said, he actually answered a question later. He said he's been, you know, more involved in the process throughout the season, throughout from the start, because of course he wasn't here last year. He wasn't there the last season as they were scouting players and working on players and looking at scenarios and stuff like that. So, all right, that's it for this episode of Breaking Big Blue. As always, you can reach me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, email, TikTok. You know where to reach me. We'll do a Giants After Dark soon, so feel free to fire questions my way. And as always, like, subscribe, tell your friends. This podcast is on the rise, okay? I'm seeing the numbers. We're going places. And I thank all of you for listening because you're taking us there. It's all about you. So tell me what you want. Tell me what you want to hear. And tell your friends, hey, you got to listen to this. This is money. This is where it's at. You want the Giants info? You want the Giants 411? You go to Breaking Big Blue. As always, I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time.